Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Patrick PJ Brady. So he goes by the name PJ. And we got connected through a mutual contact, Shelby, who that episode might actually already have published by the time you're watching this one. But Shelby, at the end of our conversation, said, I got to introduce you to PJ. She took a look at the posters that I have on the wall here that say, be grateful, be curious, be brave. And she said, you got to meet this guy. He's got a very similar motto to his company name. And he you know, provides education around like defining values and what it means to actually live by those values. And how do we use critical thinking processes to be able to make decisions on how we show up in the world? And I was like, yes, let's have that conversation. And PJ and I connected last week or a couple of weeks, it was like 10 days ago or so from the time of this recording. And I just remembered thinking, man, we should maybe just publish that conversation as a live podcast. And who knows, maybe I'll do that in the future is just have conversations with people and publish them live. And that becomes the podcast. But in any way, we ended up, defining a specific date and time to do an actual interview. And I was so happy with how this uh, turned out because we did end up addressing all the things that I was hoping to, which was, what does it mean to actually have values? How do you define those values? Um, Can you define values and not live by those values? Or do you absolutely have to exude them and be of integrity? And I think you know the answer to that. But we dove into these topics and then we actually talked about the education system for our kids and where we are both concerned, but also really encouraged as well. And I think, you know, kind of the theme of this conversation was just the idea of having conversations again that matter, talking about the right things, knowing that there's no absolute truth in anything, that there's going to be your opinion and my opinion, and it comes with beliefs and biases that shape the way that we see something, even if like an apple is an apple is an apple in front of us. You may look at it and define it in one way, and I may look at it and define it in another way. At the end of the day, it's still an apple. And how can we align on leading with kindness, you know, leading with curiosity and leading with gratefulness, right? And, and bravery, all of these things that are just ways of being. And PJ is just such a, such a fun guy to have a conversation with. I think you're really going to enjoy this one, especially if you are a parent, And you are at all concerned about what is happening in the world, but at the same time, also really encouraged by what you see for possibilities based on conversations just like this. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. All right, PJ, so good to see you again, my friend. I was looking forward to being here, sir. Absolutely. Same here. Yeah, I've been excited all week, actually. (laughs) This is good stuff. Yeah. No, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Of course, it's early in the morning where I am. It's later in the afternoon where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're over in Belgium, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, just outside of Brussels. But so originally, we got, we got like a nine-hour time difference. Yeah, here. yeah. So disclaimer for anybody watching and listening right now: we could have kids walk in at any time. <laughs> mine getting ready to go to preschool and yours coming home from school. <laughs> yeah, and they'd love to pop in the background. Like there, there used to be like rules. Mm. Not anymore. It's like, oh, families no. are home. They're going to walk in. Now it's like a given. 
100%. I can't tell you how many podcast interviews I've done with my dog barking upstairs or the kids <laughs> screaming and running across the floor. <laughs> the should be life. Now. We don't need to pretend here. This is it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I say, I was looking forward to having this chat with you uh, for a few reasons. We got connected by a mutual friend, somebody that I had just actually met through another connection. And this is the beautiful part of kind of these uh, connections that happen. But she saw actually these here. I'll maybe scoot it over a little. She saw these signs on the wall when I interviewed her for my podcast. And she's like, you got to meet PJ. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> why is that? And then I go to your website and it is... Uh, brave, smart, kind, correct? Or did I get the order wrong there? No, no, you nailed it. Yeah. Brave, smart, kind. So, you know, you even referenced the last time we chatted too. You're like, well, it's essentially the same thing. I've got brave, brave is brave, right? Smart, um, curious, and then kind, grateful. So just instant kind of connection. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool, man. And, and we had such a great chat last time. And I honestly thought maybe we should just publish what we talked about last time. And then I thought, um, maybe we'll just do it again. <laughs> maybe we'll officially, officially do it again. So to kick us off though, here really quickly, I always mentioned to everybody that, uh, there's a quote by Brene Brown that I like to use as kind of a grounding piece for us, which is one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be somebody else's survival guide. So that's a bit of, yeah, just kind of what comes up for you when you hear that. Oh, everything I do with my daughters is as a father. And that's kind of what I've built my business around. It's all leadership stuff that I've translated into my kids that I've then translated back into leadership stuff. And when I get down to it, it's everything that I went through as a kid, the goods and bads with my parents getting divorced with my father, not being present in my life, even though he was a good man. And everything that I learned from him about how to be a good dad and how not to be a good dad. And all of that and all those life experiences have gotten me to this point where I try to raise my girls with courage, critical thought, and kindness. And every single time it goes back to some sort of, whether it's childhood trauma or childhood joy or any of those things, it's the lessons that I learned then have been so far a uh, yeah, saving grace for myself and for my kids, even though they don't know it yet. And at some point, what I, I hope so, and it has proven so far, is to help other parents deal with the stuff that they've gone through and be able to raise kids with more intention. So I think that's it. Yeah, it's good. And I think that'll kind of guide our conversation here. Cause I think one of the things that we connected on was naturally just both being dads, you've got girls, I got boys and, and just looking at how this world is right now, you know, on a macro level, it's uh it's a little, a little crazy, you know, and it gets people questioning everything now, which I think is actually a blessing. Like it's even some of the really dark, bad things we see happening. I'm I'm just choosing to be grateful for it. I'm like, Justin Trudeau, what a, you know, but man, so grateful for him. He just woke up a whole population of people that are now going, wait a second. I didn't see that on the news. Is that real? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the thing is, whether it's the pandemic or it was 9-11 or the things that we've seen in our adult lives, 
to say, hey, the conversations have shifted now. We need to look at this through a new perspective because if we don't, we're going to keep getting the exact same results we've always gotten. So sometimes it takes some of that trudging through the shit <laughs> to, to really say, oh, no, this is what we do need to be thankful for and this is what we do need to think about and this is what we do need to to confront uh, because we've turned a blind eye for so long. Yeah. Before I forget here, too, because I've got a bunch of notes from our last call. I watched it again last night, and, and seriously, I was like, maybe we should just publish this. <laughs> but we'll, we'll dive back into some of these things. But you just mentioned these um, like critical decision-making, and you've got these three criteria for that. Do you want to maybe speak out loud about what that is? Like when you're talking with your daughters and you're analyzing a situation, what are those three things that you're working through with them? And then ultimately, you've seen them just start to do on their own. Yeah. So when I, Alexandra, who's about to turn 12, she was four years old. My middle child, Emmeline was two years old and Josephine hadn't been born yet. I was doing a lot of leadership stuff. I was doing a lot of values based leadership stuff, traveling around the world and helping people discover their values. And a lot of them were entrepreneurs. So seeing how they led their teams by those values, how they incorporated them into their companies. And what we found was that leadership, good leaders have strong values, strong leaders, strong values, not a surprise there, but it's funny that we always would teach on values and discover values when someone became a leader. But we discovered that those values were created, they were shaped at a very young age in those leaders. And I thought, well, if they're shaped at a young age, why aren't we starting young? Why are we waiting till this point to start to help people discover what their values are? So I was like, I got two little guinea pigs I get to experiment on here and my daughters <laughs> as I raise them to be like, all right, let's go. Let's try to do this with values. So then I thought, uh, how, okay, but now what? <laughs> Great. I have thought about this to put it into kids' lives, but I don't want to give my kids specific values as they're growing into their own. I don't want to tell them who to be. Right. Um, but I, I was presented with a very unique opportunity because living in Belgium, being American, I've got uh, the girls go to school in Dutch. So they speak Flemish in the north half of the country. They go oh, to wow. school in Dutch. Yeah. They learn French with my wife which is the other national language spoken in the South and they learn English with me. So I'm the source of their English la language, which if you know my language, I'm, that's a terrifying thought <laughs> that they're going to be raised with me as the mentor. So uh, I thought, all right, this is, this is a start. So I get to introduce a lot of language to them and definitions of words. Well, I, I said, I don't want to just, kids don't know what values are. That makes no sense. We don't talk about values in the, in the normal sense, but I was raised around women. I had an older sister. Uh, my mom was a single mom for a while. And it always broke my heart when any woman in my life said that she didn't feel beautiful. And I was like, that's, that's tragic, right? Just from a be who you are and being able to feel beautiful yeah, and confident. First. Exactly. And I was like, if there's a gift that I can give my daughters, it is that when they grow up, they feel beautiful. We all struggle with a lot of different things. There's a lot of devils and angels on our shoulders that are screaming in our ears. But if I can help them do that, then I will. So I thought, all right, here's the idea. If I get to define the English language, I get to define what beautiful means to my girls. So I said, beautiful isn't looks. That's pretty. That's for things. That's temporary. That stuff fades. Beautiful is how you feel. And then I had to break it down to a very basic level for them to say, all right, well, what, what do I want them to be? So I thought, what am I sick of in the world? 
number one thing that I was sick of is people using fear to control other people. It is exhausting. I mean, and it's always been like, this isn't a new trick, but I feel like we've perfected it in recently. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Uh, and it's used in, of course it's used in politics always has been, but it's also used in marketing and it's also used in sales and, and, and it's also used by parents. We make our kids afraid of something when we want a desired reaction. That's true. I, I, I can relate. I am guilty of that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's bedtime. Uh, you know, Lucy, right. the bears outside. Oh, geez. I'm saying that out loud, right? <laughs> Better go to bed. That, that must be a Canadian thing. We don't have bears. Yeah, that's a Canadian thing. It may just be our, our household thing. <laughs> yeah. But we do. And, and it's not to say that fear doesn't exist. It absolutely exists. But I'm just tired of people using it to control others. So I said, all right, the first thing I want my girls to do is I want them to be brave. I want them to understand fear and be able to overcome their challenges with courage. All right. Uh, The next thing I was tired of was just the lack of critical thought across the board. We've got devices that we just sit in front of all the time. We digest any sort of information that comes in. We don't question it. And it's just like we're walking zombies. No, I want my daughters to be able to, to have critical thought. I want them to use their creativity. I want them to ask why. I want them to seek out information. I want them to be curious. I want them to be creative. Put any word behind that. I want them to think. Yeah. Yeah. I want them to, I want to raise them to be smart. And then the last one that I'm tired of in the world is just the lack of kindness. I don't know. This might be a generational thing where we thought everybody was kind as a kid and now everybody isn't, but you look at the world and it's not that there's no kindness. There is an abundance of kindness. I find kind people all over the place. And I also find that every situation that we come up to that has become any kind of, of large issue in society there is a severe lack of kindness, severe lack of empathy or sympathy or listening or gratitude or, or name any place where you need to treat people in a certain way and how you need to treat yourself. So I said, how you treat others and how you treat yourself is I want to teach my girls to be kind. So I said, from the age that Alex was four to Emmeline two and Joey's just been raised with it, I said, beautiful means three things and three things only. It means to be brave, it means to be smart, it means to be kind. And if we can put things through those filters and ask the right questions in the right moments and understand values from a framework of here's how we're positive, here's how we're negative, here's how we fail, here's how we succeed, well, then we actually get to, to be raised with very specific values and with a little bit more intention as opposed to just doing it on accident. So then I had to define those words at a four-year-old level of what it means to be brave, smart, and kind. And as they've gotten older, those definitions have shifted. And as they even get into adulthood, here's what I found is that putting that back into leadership stuff, every single person's values, no matter what word, find any value that you can possibly think of. And it's either how we overcome, how we critically think, or how we treat others and treat ourselves. Every single value is, at a foundational level, brave, smart, and kind. So it's beyond children. Now it's how do I, what do I define brave as in my world? What do I define as smart? What do I define as kind? And if I'm able to stay in that balance and in that positive zone, well, then I am living a life of values. And if I'm able to do that with my kids, and we fuck it up along the way, and we'll ask the right questions, and we'll learn to apologize, and we will learn to do it together as a family, but sorry, long answer to a short question. It's those three things to say, 
let's let's look at what's what are the courageous choices that we need to make here what are we afraid of what are the questions we need to ask what do we think about this what are who do we need to talk to who do we trust all of that and then all right well how do we affect people who do we affect let's ask those questions and if we can get through those filters then at least we've got a starting point to make the right choices i love that man that and no i appreciate you actually going in depth on that because Part of me, actually, because I remember when we talked last time, you you mentioned about these th- three things, and I wrote it down, like, what do I fear? What do I need to consider? How am I going to treat this person? And I actually didn't even connect it back to that brave, smart kind, but it makes total sense. Like, you were literally saying the same thing, just using different words, right? When it came to making critical decision-making. Um, but the other thing that comes up for me, too, is naturally, you know, these these words kind of just came to me, but they didn't just come to me. They were things that I had to kind of work through and sit with and be like, is gratefulness something that I should be um, exemplifying every single day, even in the shit storms, like even in the nasty stuff and the things like the deaths that we go through, identity, physical death, like losing people, like how can I see the gratefulness in all of these things? So I had to kind of sit with it and... You asked me actually on the last call, you're like, are those your values? And I was like, yeah, they, they are as it relates to the podcast. And then I said, but I've actually also defined other values as well. Um, personally, just through some personal development work that I did like seven years ago. And I said, I am a vulnerable, honest, romantic man. And they were all things at that time where I was like, these are all words that exemplified who, who I get to be as a reminder to myself of like, look, you're not being truly vulnerable or honest or romantic in any way, shape, or form in your life. So attach to those values and then become it. And the question that I got for you with regards to that is that was the first time, like seven years ago, it was the first time when somebody actually said, wrap your existence or your way of being with a word. And I was like, what? Like, how am I? (laughs) Just one? Yeah, just one. And then, okay, we'll give you three. Oh, three? That's all I... And then I had a hard time actually thinking like, well, what does this mean? Like, is this this it? Are these my only values? Do I pick these and now I'm stuck with them forever? Can I have the same values personally as I do in my business? Can they, you know, overlap? And I think you are already explaining that this is something that you've really um, mastered or continue to master in assisting other people in doing is actually defining that. So what have you found um, in working with people? Like when you say, what are your values? Do you find a lot of people go, Oh, this, 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 and this, or a lot of people go, I don't, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? What's been your experience? Most most have been, Oh, uh, I don't know. And they just think of like something on the spot and typically, I find those to be more aspirational than actual. And that's okay. It's not to say that we can't be aspirational, but I say, let's deal with the actual. Because if you wanted to be those things and you aren't those things, there's got to be a reason why. Let's unpack that a little bit from who you are. And I've had people say, oh, yeah, I know my values. I went with a leader, was must have been five years ago. And I said, all right, do you, have you ever done a values exercise like this? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I know my values. I said, you do? He's like, yep. Got them in my uh, wallet. Fantastic. Can I see them? He's like, yep. So pulls out a list of seven values. Really quick, I got to say this. I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but I literally have on here. Oh, it's hard to see, but I am a vulnerable, honest, romantic. Oh, I see when the light hits it. (laughs) 
I love it. You don't have my wallet. wallet. <laughs> yeah, on your wallet. And you know, like you're paying for it. You're like, yep, romantic. How much is that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah I I'll know. be that romantic. Yeah. So this guy, and he had seven values, sure enough, laminated on a card. So I'm holding him up. I'm like, fantastic. Tell me about your values. And he said, well, the first one is, um, uh, the first one is respect. And I looked at it and I was like, no, that's not even one of the seven. <laughs> he had gone through the exercise. Somebody at some point at some event, they did a values exercise, laminated a card and did all that. And it's, that's not the type of exercise, right? That's not what we're doing here. We have to understand, you know, your positive values and how you succeed and what usually gets people and the way that we figure out values. There's a bunch of questions that I ask and we go through a whole process, but there's two really important ones that I ask. One is what makes you angry? And the other is how do you fail? Now, when you get angry and you can mention a bunch of things in your world that make you mad. And I want to make a very distinct difference here. It, Angry and aggressive are two very different things. Some people are like, I don't get mad. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> you might not get aggressive when you get mad, but it doesn't mean that you don't feel anger. And the range is like, <clears throat> one of the things that pisses me off is injustice in the world. If anyone is treated poorly because of skin color, uh, economic status, gender, whatever, pisses me off. And I don't understand how people can't put toothpaste caps back on toothpaste. <laughs> It makes no sense in the world. And I have every single member of my family, minus myself, they get they complain about the dried out toothpaste, but they never put the cap back on the toothpaste. Are you kidding me? Come on, people. Dad so, problems here. Let's go. Isn't it? So that's my range. And here's the thing is, anytime you get mad about something, one of your values has been broken. Mm. So if injustice is really making me mad, that's because I value justice or fairness, or equality, or equity, or all of the things that I can define as kind in my world. Yep. And then the failure one is, this is an unpopular opinion so far, but I promise you it works. Uh, there's so many leader trainings out there that say, oh, well, you know, leaders need to act from a place of values, or people think, oh, if, if I disagree with someone, that means they don't have values. Like, not a Trump supporter, Right. Disagree with pretty much everything that that man says. Don't like him. And can you say that he doesn't have values? Can you say that he's not ambitious? He he's has certainly values. ambitious. They they just take it, and that's the thing. He's got values. I just don't agree with him. Right. And they go you're against my aligned. values. Right. But here's the thing: is any value, and it, there's a lot of people who say ambition is a good thing, and don't, I think ambition is a good thing until you take anything too far. And this is the trick about values. I don't think you live them or don't live them. I think we are always living them every single day in every decision we make. Yes, we make bad choices, but that's not because of a lack of values. Typically, that's because of an extremity of values. If you take any value too far, it can become damaging. So an honest person typically can also be considered rude or too direct. Right? If you've got a motivated person, dedicated person, they can become stubborn. Any value that you go too far with, kindness taken too far, you get walked over. You can become weak. You can become a punching bag if you don't say no to people or whatever. So if you look at how we fail, typically we fail because we go so far in line with one of our values that it, it makes us drop off a cliff. So that's the part when I get with people and they're like, oh yeah, I know your, your val my values. I'm like, 
all right, let's, let's test those out. Let's see if you do. And when we go through this exercise, that's typically one that people's eyes open. They're like, oh, oh. And then if you look at it as a parent, what do we project on our kids based on our values too? Opens up a whole new box of the way that we view ourselves and how we educate our kids. Yeah. Well, and speaking of words and what we attach to them based on their their meaning, and then you translate it into different languages, and it and it gets a little skewed even too. But like the the biases and beliefs, those two words specifically come to mind when it comes to like values. So like we could both value the same thing, but I can come at it from a different perspective with a bias or a belief of what what I believe is right or wrong. Like Trump, for example, right? And I, like I'm. Like I'm Canadian. Ultimately, I, I don't care what happens in U.S. politics. I choose to say it doesn't really impact me, even though it does in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, we could use that as a very polarizing example. We might each look at Trump and, and go, you know, this belief that I hold uh, based on that person's values, we might see it from a different lens. And it's the exact same thing, though. Like, it's literally, you know, call an apple an apple. It's an apple. But you see it one way and I see it a different way. And I think for people, it's challenging a lot of times, right? Because one thing that I've become comfortable with is to realize that like my values don't have to be set in stone and never, ever, ever adapt either. They can evolve over time, can't they? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I say we're like balls of clay, you know, and when we're younger. It's a little bit more moldable. <laughs> is that a word? Uh, we, and it gets shaped by our parents and our teachers and our school systems and all of the community. And then you can have either an amazing or traumatizing experience at the age of 18 and it shifts those values. You could have that same experience at the age of 33. You could have that same experience at the age of 55 and just realize, holy crap, I don't like a midlife awakening. Be like, this is not who I am. This isn't what I value. And then it's not that you've, that we have significantly changed in one way or another. We've just had, we've gotten a new perspective on something. And then, yeah, the, our values should be a working, should be a work in progress. Right. All the time we should be able to, and I go back to mine every year and just say, is this where I still stand? And the older I get, the more I'm like, yep. <laughs> but that came through some courageous just choices earlier in life. Yeah. What's been your experience just to stick on the kind of corporate uh, line of questioning now, and then we'll maybe shift more in towards the education of kids and whatnot as it relates to this. Cause I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this, but um, do you believe that, uh, your personal values and your corporate values need to be one and the same, or can they be independent? Like just thinking about a, a company of 50 people, like when you come together and you create values as a company, does everybody need to align with those or else you are destined for failure? And and how do you overlap <laughs> these things with, with personal values? Cause obviously everybody's individual. Well, and I don't find it's the values that change as much as the actions that people draw from them. So I've had a couple of different experiences. One is helping somebody define their values in the early stages of their company. Maybe they have employees, maybe they don't. And if they have a small group, great, easy to work with. Let's get everyone together. Let's ask the right questions and come up with that, those core values. When you have 20 plus 50 plus, then it's something that you need to go through the exercises. So there's buy-in from everyone so that they, they believe they're part of this process and at the end of the day, if your leaders aren't living those values, right, you're kind of screwed as an organization. If they're going, if they think that it's a marketing, anytime I do values and they introduce me to the marketing team, I know that we're in trouble right away. 
immediately like, yeah, let's do a core values. Here's the marketing company. I'm like, nope. I know. Marketing should use your values. They should be able to communicate uh, the standpoints on which you believe. But if you're introducing me, then that's you're wanting better marketing, which isn't where we start. So we start with leadership. We start with with the the people in the company who are supposed to be supporting everyone else. And then, yeah, there's I haven't found that values shift with individuals as much. It's just whether or not they're living in the positive or living in the negative. So with people to say, hey, honesty, we, we want to be honest in our organization. We wanna, and I say, OK, well, what have you set up to do that? And they say, oh, we just tell people. Eh. <laughs> Do you have 360 reviews? Do you have the ability for someone to say something without being penalized? Or have you created a system of fear where if somebody says something, there's going to be consequences to truth? Let's ask those questions to people. And if those come up in yeah, red flags, we have some bigger discussions to, to have there. Yeah, but it's... It depends on the size of the company, <laughs> but they have to be able to live up to them. But be in this framework where it's about how you overcome, how you critically think, and how you treat people. As long as someone's not coming in and being like, oh, one of my values is to treat people like an asshole. No, it's not. We don't go there. If what we're saying is this is where we want to be as an organization, then how do you hold people accountable to those certain things? If you, if curiosity, which everyone's into, well, when, when are you curious? How are you being innovative? When do you ask the questions? Who do you ask the questions to? It's the implementation of the values more than the values themselves. That's interesting. Yeah. And I just think of the words like alignment versus agreements as well, because alignment is more loose to say like, yeah, I'm aligned with that. Right. It doesn't mean that I agree with your definition of it or even how you actually take action on that value that we've created as a company. But I think that's why like naturally it's, it's different in every type of company and environments, but having a co-creation of, of values or at least a contribution for every person to say like, this is what this means for me, I think is an important piece of the process. And as a company grows and, you know, it has an established value statements or a handful of them. And then five years later, there's new employees coming in. It gets a little more dicey. And I guess that's probably part of the work that you do is to go, well, let's revisit these. Let's revisit these. What do we mean by, and I'm actually looking at our, our website. So I'm a, a partner in a company called Irrational. And this is a great example of it, actually, is that the the CEO founder of that company who bought my agency had created some value statements. And then I came in and ultimately it actually played a big part in why I sold my business to that company, because the values were the statements were put people first, evolve or perish, deliver exponential value. And these were just the high level stuff. And then there's definitions beyond it. But uh, better together, tell the real story and believe trust in the process. So that was kind of a foundation that ultimately every time I even thought about the, the sale of my business and all the pros and the cons, I went back to these and I was like, we are really better together. And yeah, shit's going to hit the fan every once in a while. And something we thought was going to go this way is going to go that way, but we'll figure it out, right? We will tell each other the real story. We will be honest with each other. And it was so grounding for me in that scenario of like selling a business and realizing that like, we're about to get married here, like hypothetically, but also literally, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a union. So it's so grounding. It's such a foundational piece, I guess is what I'm saying. It has to be. And if, and that's, people will start questioning the values. If all of a sudden you're making decisions that aren't putting the people first. Exactly. Even and what does that yet, mean? Exactly. Yeah. Is 
what happens when you have an issue that it puts one person against another person or one group of people against another group of people. And then one is like, yes, they put the people first. And the other is like, you didn't put us first, put them first. So being able to define that and saying, this is how we will work through issues. This is how we are going to evaluate that. That's how we're going to talk about this. That part matters, right? So, and if you don't have agreement from the people, here's what I tell you. You can't come up with values in a relationship when you need the value. Like we can't be like, Trevor, one of my values is honesty. And honestly, I think you're really messing this up. <laughs> so it was like, uh, excuse me. But what Wait I can do second. is to say, Hey, Trevor, yeah, did I just we're get about to work together. there. <laughs> <laughs> I can say, Trevor, we're about to work together. And before we start, before we even engage in this relationship, one of the values here is openness and honesty. And the place that I'm kind of come from is a compassion and honesty because I care about this relationship. You agree with that? You're cool with that? Great. We shake hands two months later. Hey, Trevor, remember when we talked about how honesty is at the core values of this? We need to have a discussion about this part. And then someone who has already agreed to enter into a relationship based on their values is like, okay, cool. Let's have that honest conversation. Not let me throw it down your throat as soon as I need it. It's too late. Yeah. (laughs) The reason I was laughing there is the first thing that came to mind is like, imagine you start the relationship off with that. Like, you know, honesty is going to be one of the values that we will both line on, on this relationship. Absolutely. Cool. Five years goes by, you have some kids, you have a few too many potato chips in the evening, that type of thing. It's like, you're looking a little chunky right now, you know? <laughs> honesty in our relationship, remember? We said we could. <laughs> you honest, like, like, there's a. Yeah. You're like, where was that the past five years? Uh, no, that's very Germanic <laughs> cultures, too. That's like the Dutch, the Germans. There's a lot of those things. And you're like, I didn't ask for your honesty. <laughs> Tone that one back a little bit. Wow, that's this is interesting to go down this path. I actually didn't even expect that we might talk so much about the like how this actually gets uh, integrated into the business world. But I think it is important, even as a foundational piece, because our kids, you know, like I, I didn't grow up learning this. Like I said, seven years ago was the first time somebody actually introduced the idea of like what a word actually means both the definition of it in the dictionary and then what it can mean for you and how it can be different for somebody else, but still the same word. How critically important is that, do you think, in our education system going forward here of not only just values, because it's just kind of one modality on all of this, but even, I know you mentioned like seven habits of highly effective people and how that has been integrated into the school systems and whatnot. We had such a fascinating conversation around that. You want to just pick up on that? I'm not sure exactly what the question is, aside from like, shouldn't we be teaching our damn kids this stuff in school? And that's the thing is, I think a lot of it has come accidentally, right? And it comes from either like an incredible teacher that we had. Maybe it's one great school. And yeah, the Stephen Covey stuff, they've got Stephen Covey uh, programs that go in. uh, I think it's called The Leader in Me. And there's certain schools that you have to get licensed. It's actually pretty strict. The teachers have to go through this through additional courses to become a leader in me certified school. And then they teach the kids the seven habits. And from what I've heard, it's worked, it's worked really well. And it's a very strict program. It's starting to get to be a very expensive program that they're looking elsewhere for different SEL, social emotional learning concepts and programs that people get to implement. But the tricky part, and I think what that's what leader in me does. And that's what we try to do too is, you have so many different people who are raising kids. 
yeah, they're my kids, but they also become belong to a hockey club. They also go to school and spend so much time there. They go to their friends' houses. They see their friends' parents. They talk. There are so many different people who have input into my daughter's lives. Well, and then you throw very in social too, right? Yeah. And now you've got this just never-ending stream of influence that's coming at these kids these days. Yeah, and they'd be able to digest it. And that's, but this all builds up their character. This is what they are, they're finding the lessons and the experiences from, from all this that creates their values. So at a very bare minimum, because parents and schools are the places where typically most kids are going to spend most of their time. And if we can get the parents and schools working off the same playbook to say, hey, this is, this is the way that we want people to treat each other at a minimum. It's like, all right, well, let's talk about respect. And if we're talking about it in the same way as we are in this classroom and at home, then that magnifies the message even more to the kids to say, oh, no, this is really important. We need to be able to do that. So then you've got teachers who, God bless their souls. If I mean, if angels came to earth, they came back in the form of teachers because even before the pandemic, <laughs> some of the most wonderful people in the world. Uh, and now ugh, that's something that really gets under my skin is the way that teachers have been treated and the way that they've been uh, spoken about and accused of and uh, all these things. And I think that was at least from my side, as soon as my kids were home for several months in Belgium, we only had them home for three months because they're all under the age of 12. We love teachers even more <laughs> like, please, yeah. please, Please educate my children. Please take yeah. them back. I'm not ready to learn new math right now. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but if we're able to 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 be able to sit, be on the same page, but even that is hard because teachers all have these different backgrounds and different personalities, and and they're doing their best, man. So from an educational standpoint, if we're able to get into schools, and at least from my side, we're we're doing this this isn't a promotion. We're just doing a free, we're just saying, Hey, any teacher who wants to kind of go through this brace mark kind stuff, it's not a curriculum. It's just a way to wrap your brain about how we're raising kids. And if this helps you great, fantastic, please take it. And then they get the parents into that conversation too. And it's like, all right, well let's, let's define how we want our kids to show up, have courage. Let's, let's talk about that, about how we want our kids to think. And then there's some schools who are like sending home notes to be like, all right, our kids were, your kid was brave, smart, or kind in this way in the class. So we can recognize it. We can give them, help our kids understand their superpowers. And yeah. Yeah. Which the acknowledgements. There's plenty of people who are out there that are doing those types of things. But yeah, to be able to notice and acknowledge, and then what gets acknowledged and noticed gets repeated by kids, whether that's good or bad. And they want attention and connection. If the only way they get their attention from people is through acting like a jerk they're going to continue to get it because acting, getting that attention is better than irrelevance. Yeah. And I know last time we chatted too, we were just talking about the, the concern. And I think it's wrapped in one kind of statement, which is teaching kids how to think, not what to think. And you see legislation in the States even too. I know somebody in my network who, who I have a lot of respect for and what she does for work. She does a lot of leadership training and that type of thing too. But she shared something about the, I think it was in Indiana, they were trying to pass some legislation that was requiring the teachers to follow a certain curriculum and, and a certain, and there were certain things that you couldn't say in a classroom anymore. Like they were, they were starting to mandate that. And it was, it was around 
you know, race and gender identity and that type of thing, mostly, right? Yeah. And it was a really, at surface level, you might be like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then you read into it and you're actually, th- you think about the future projection of that and you're like, wait a second, this is a big deal. Like, we're taking away the ability for our teachers, which I 100% agree with you. Like, my sister, I was telling you, is a principal with, 25 years experience in an MBA and spent a lot of time and a lot of money to get there. Like I would happily have my kids raised by my sister, but the system, if the system's going to say you can only do this and you can't do that, and she's not teaching them how to think critically, like you're talking about, she could be the most amazing teacher in the world. Now she's got handcuffs on her to actually what it means to teach a kid in today's world about how to think. That scares the shit out of me, man. And I'm not the only person that that thinks that way. Because every time I bring it up, another dad goes, oh, dude, I'm thinking this. Out. Tell me what you figure out. Like, are you taking your kids out of school? Like, oh, how are you going to educate them then? Like, is it a homeschool situation? Is there a community thing? Is there an online court? Like, this is huge, man. This is, a, this is one of the reasons why I was really excited to talk to you. And just about what you got going on even, too, and the initiatives. And I think you've even alluded to it is that like, oh, it's evolving, you know, like we, we do corporate stuff in the in corporate world and we have this, this uh, kids kind of stuff. And then we realize that the parents ultimately are the influencers in the decision-making a lot of times with these, with the kids, right? Cause they can't make their own decisions at a young, young age. Right. So I just wanted to say all that out loud. Like, <laughs> well, and that's the all fair thoughts. And that's why you see a lot of different types of schools, whether it's the Montessori schools or <laughs> Uh, whatever that are a little bit more free thinking that are a little bit uh, adaptive and you see a lot of people going to those schools and i i am not a educational professional i am not in that realm so i don't want to say anything that's untrue but there's a lot of times that's a great option if you have money well what about the people who don't i know it's always public education and it's always underfunded and, and at least in the u.s it's uh, the money you get is from property taxes. Well, what if the property value isn't high in your neighborhood? And then all of a sudden you've got books that all that don't even have updated historical curriculum in them. I, we did some programs in inner city schools when I was with another organization and you literally had kids crawling in and out of the windows and the teacher saying, what can I do? There's 35 kids in this classroom. How am I possibly able to control all this? And then you've got, whether it's parents or administrators or politicians or whoever, saying all of a sudden, well, if the teachers are doing their jobs, oh, well, don't talk about gender. We don't want to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. And then you've got the kid who's considering suicide because they can't come out to their family and they've got a teacher who can't talk to them about it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So yeah, it is terrifying. And then, so I mean, my wife and I have talked about coming back to the U.S. and one of the conversations is where? Because I, we will be looking so heavily on what is the educational system? Uh, what are the possibilities here? Do we believe what that school believes? <laughs> to get in the same situation of just, or is this a homeschool? Or is this some new model where we get a bunch of kids together and find the teachers who don't want to teach anymore because they've been handcuffed and say, hey, no, come in and please teach our children to the best of ability with your beliefs. And it doesn't mean like, it doesn't mean all of a sudden they're going to come in and push Christian beliefs or they're not going to like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I take it back. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> uh, but everything's been so polarizing now. 
and now all of a sudden the educational system has been become so much more political than what it used to be. And they're talking about banning books on Rosa Parks and banning books that have sexually explicit content. And, and you're like, uh, take a breath, everybody. <laughs> and it, it kind of even comes back to like, you know, the, we won't go down the path. We won't have time to, I'm sure we could talk all about the COVID and the health stuff too, but it's the same thing that I've been bringing up recently is like, are we asking the right questions or, and even are we focused on the right thing? Because a lot of times we like focus, focus, focus. And then this thing over here is like screaming at you like, Hey, inflation is out of control for the, you know, it's like 30 year high. Like our gasoline prices in Canada right now are almost double what they were six months ago. And it's just coming in the conversation now. Like my dad said it the other day, because we live in Western Canada, so it's a lot heavier on the natural resources and stuff, oil and gas, and like he gets pretty heated about it. But but it's just like, are we talking about the right things here? And one of the things you brought up, it just reminded me. So I had a business partner who lived in Santa Barbara in California, and they made a choice to move into a neighborhood where their rent on their house was like $9,000 a month for the same house that would have been like three grand a month in another neighborhood because it allowed their kids to go to a certain school. And they knew that, okay, well we could live over here, but then we're going to have to pay six grand just to send them to a private school. So they actually made a choice to move into like a a higher end neighborhood, pay three times the rent just to be able to get into the, the damn school. And they have the ability to do it. That's the thing though, is like, good for him for the sacrifices he's made along the way. It's not a privilege thing. Like he made the sacrifices along the way to create that, but not everybody can do that. So what happens to the rest of these kids? They just get the leftovers. Yes. Yes. And that's happened historically. That's, that's been the way, but I feel as we have evolved as humans, like that, that stuff needs to be addressed. And it's not that it's not talked about. It's just, it's just any sort of meaningful change is impossible because the people making the decisions have to give up something. They're the ones who are going to have to quote unquote sacrifice something to help bring everybody else along. And so if we can start here's, and this is why we like to go into schools and why we start with kids is because it doesn't mean we can't have conversations with adults on courage and critical thought and kindness, but that only happens if someone it's not only happen the easiest place to get to people is like, Hey, as kids, let's raise you with some of these values so we can, we can figure this part out. But if the education system is what's underfunded and we're not able to get into those places, or if teachers can't, can't help kids to be good people. Cause most of the people, if I ask parents all the time, what do you want your kid to be? Usually it's not, Oh, I want them to be a doctor. or I want them to be a lawyer. Or I want, no, they say, I want them to be happy. And they say, I want them to be confident. And it's like, well, aren't we taking a lot of that stuff out of our educational system? We don't get to have those conversations. Like, do we talk about happiness as a child? We talk about how to treat yourself with respect. We talk about, do we talk about mental health? Do we talk about all the stuff that we struggle with as adults? I don't struggle with whoever's the 19th president of America. <laughs> I've never needed that piece of information. What I do struggle with is confidence. What I do struggle with is uh, mental health sometimes. Like, or even like relationship to money, right? That's a huge yes. one. Like ima- imagine if we taught that in school too, to say that like money is energy. What does that mean? Well, let's dig into it for the next six years and actually break that down. The idea that you don't need to trade your time for dollars. The amount of value you put in is the, value, the amount of value that you exchange out. And sometimes it's not with a piece of paper. 
It's just with a feeling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, imagine if we had those I, like, conversations in a school. I'm already seeing, like, economic professors in, like, universities or, like, anybody who's identifies, like, the intellectual list is, like, numbers oh, no, focused. we can't yeah. do those types of things. Whatever, uh, you yeah. bunch of woo-woo but, crazies, right? Like, yeah. But we have to start with education. So when I run for king of the world. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you said it out loud because I was just about to say it. <laughs> that was something PJ said last time world. we talked. <laughs> My platform, my motto for it is going to be fund the shit out of education. Like that's it's my one thing is to say, can we please just take all this money that we're putting in all these other places and just start at the foundational level and stop taking money away from education? Uh, how are we supposed to educate kids if we don't have the funding to do so? So anytime I get like heated about something, I've got a Bernice Mountain Dog and she like comes up and she's like, super <laughs> concerned about me. So yeah, she's what's like, going right on, here. Dad? She's like, like, tell me, tell me more. There you go. Well, there. Hey, you just you just qualified uh, for the quota of at least a dog or a kid entering the the screen during the interview. That was mandatory. So you're either <laughs> going to have to drag a kid in before we ended the door, but we're good. Still might happen. Yeah, yeah. This is awesome, man. I've got a handful of questions that I always end off with here too, and I'm conscious of time too. But I think we should be able to get through them. Are, are you cool with? Uh, running through them we maybe go a little five minutes after what we thought we were going to i'm ready okay cool i ready i mean completely not ready but i'm willing <laughs> awesome yes well you have the answer that's the th- that's the only preparation i'll give you is like whatever comes to your mind is the answer so question number one who is one person or mentor that you believe has been the most influential in your life all time so you can go back to childhood like who's that one person that you think of i, I the first one is my mom and that's, it's not even a hard one. Like she's going what she went through, through the divorce and through fighting what she needed to fight and going, working through the demons that she needed to work through and doing all that stuff. It's easy to say her. I can also say my dad, but from more of a negative standpoint, very influential. I wouldn't be who I am today. And I can't credit all of my good things or bad things without saying my father played a huge role and he was a very loving and caring man. And some of it, it was so jacked up that it just made me decide who I didn't want to be. Cool. You can tell when somebody's done the work or at least is in the process of doing the work because they actually frame the negative as a positive. Right? They see <laughs> they see that experience for what it actually was, which was like, man, what a blessing that I had a dad like this because it shaped who you are as a dad. Right. Yeah. Next question. Who is one person very similar? Who's one person or mentor you believe is the most influential in your life right now? So like in this moment. Who's that person that's around you creating impact? Yeah. So oddly enough, those are my daughters. Mm. And that's the thing. They, they teach me lessons all the time without knowing, without doing it on purpose. Uh, and they're so good at it because they have this level of honesty and directness. And that's something that, <laughs> that we have instituted in the family is my daughters never, ever get in trouble for being honest with me. And they have done some jacked up shit, man. <laughs> but the rule is, if you come and tell me about it, it doesn't mean there won't be consequence. Like, we, we're very clear on that. There's there's consequence to actions. But one of them won't be my anger or my wrath or anything that comes along with that. And so they get to be very honest with me. And so they are. And so sometimes if I'm doing something and I'm maybe getting heated about something I shouldn't get heated about, they come up and they they'll tell me about out. that. Yeah, And they'll say, hey, dad. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have said that to mom. I'm like, damn, man. (laughs) 
okay, let's, let's, let's talk about that. And if I need to explain something to them and we walk through that, but yeah, the number of lessons, the, the person that I am becoming is infinitely right now because of their existence. Love it. Perfect answer. All right. Next one for you. What is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Uh, the one that pops up is a nonprofit called up with people. Mm. So up with people is a international nonprofit that sends college age students around the world and they live in host families. They perform a musical and they, uh, go into schools and talk about culture. Like there's a, that travel aspect to it. I'm so passionate about it because I did it for two and a half years. And that was when I was 20 to 23 and completely shifted my world. And for people just to say, take a year off, question what they've never questioned, find answers in places they didn't expect. Don't just jump right. And maybe for some people, fine, jump into your education, but that wasn't my path. I would a hundred percent not be the same person or even remotely close to the same person that I am today without that organization. And when that went down because of COVID, cause it's a traveling musical, <laughs> uh, everything else dried up. So there's a new CEO. He's trying to get things off the ground, but I, and don't get me wrong. There are so many others uh, that, that we contribute to and we put time behind, but here's the thing about Europe is because it's so socialist and state funded. Like I pay a lot in taxes, not so many causes to actually put, put time towards. So it's, it's odd. Like I want my daughters to do community service. And quite frankly, it's harder to find in Europe than it is in America because the state pays people to take care of, who society doesn't, I guess. Sorry, that's a side note. No, that's that's perfect. The <clears throat> was that your cross Canada tour you were talking about then when you actually did that yourself? Yes, yes. Nine nine Canadian provinces and been on both sides, drove through drove through uh Manitoba, <laughs> drove through Saskatchewan. And that's the time where you hit seek, you hit seek on the radio. And tries to find a station and it takes six <laughs> minutes to run through before it finds a station. You're like, I am in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You just <clears throat> redefined the, the other term that we use in Saskatchewan, right? It's like where you can watch your dog run away for days. It's literally <laughs> just horizon forever. Right. And it's the same thing, right? Where you can literally try and find a radio station four days as you're driving on a straight road for 16 hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, totally. Right on. Well, I'm glad we got that piece into this too. I was hoping we would. Um, next question. What is one thing you are most grateful for right now? I think the struggles that my business has gone through. So I'm in the training and speaking business and kind of started out on my own. It's almost been five years now. Start off doing really well, doing really well. Had a banner year. COVID happened. Training and keynote speaking went nearly completely away. But even then, like all the, all the keynote speakers were looking for jobs. So the market just took a tumble because we had speakers who were charging like a hundred thousand for a keynote, all of a sudden doing 10,000 for a keynote because they can do a half an hour in front of the computer. They don't have to travel. They don't have to go anywhere. So what that takes for speakers like me, who that might be my maximum rate is, oh yeah, come and speak. We're happy to give you like $500. And you're like, <laughs> Okay, I'll travel, take it. leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> but what it made me do is take a lot of the brace mark kind stuff that I do and say, all right, well, who do I get to help right now? If I'm not going to be making a lot of money off of this and 
and genuinely let me look more at schools. Let me look more at parents. Let's have some free conversations about this so that, that we're able to help. And I've been writing my book for seven ish years and it's how to raise kids to be very smart and kind. And I got more done over the past couple of years, just because not only had I, did I have more time, but I had more focus and I got more examples. And once you're digging in deep into your content, you need to test it out and try it out and do all those things. I wouldn't have done that if, if it stayed the way that it stayed and the business continued to thrive in just the leadership world, as opposed to let's translate this more into schools and parenting. That's a good reframe on that too, because ultimately I think as a speaker, yes, it's part of your income. So you kind of attach it to like how I make money, but also it's just the message. You know, when you get on stage that you have the ability to impact whoever's in front of you. Right. And that's the beautiful part about, I think just the, the rise of podcasting now too, because it's been around for a long time. Let's be honest, you know, podcasting has been around for 10 years. People go like, Oh, podcasting. It's new. It's not new. It's just that people are paying attention now because where they normally might've got their news from now they're not trusting. So now Russell Brand and Joe Rogan are the two like greatest influencers on the planet right now. Like, think about how crazy that is, right? It's like, we used to trust our politicians and laugh at our comedians. Now we trust our comedians and laugh at our politicians. I remember hearing that. I was like, what? So true. Accurate. Yeah. So I love the fact that we're even just talking about this because there's a lot of people that need to hear what you're talking about and all of the things that you've you've built, right? So there is a lot to be grateful for with regards yeah, it to is. Yeah, and, and honestly, and that's why it's like as much as we can get this message out to whoever in whatever capacity and just like, that's the biggest thing with my girls is it's just created context for conversation that we didn't have before. I didn't talk to my parents about fears, or at least I don't remember doing that. I didn't talk to my parents about questioning information or where to find information or how to do that. It, and it, a lot of it was because I had his mom who, don't get me, she was there and supportive and loving and all of the wonderful things and working a lot. So now because we've def- I've defined those with my girls, we have conversations about courage and critical thought and kindness almost daily where we didn't have that before. So as many people as we can and whether that's it's it is how can we have context for better conversations? And COVID has changed that. I love that. I could go down that path for another 15 minutes, but I'll be conscious of the time. Couple more questions here. What is one thing that you're most curious about right now and looking to explore further? What do you want to kind of learn? So right now, the something I'm struggling with is a writing process. <laughs> Just in my own world and my book is like, yeah, I've taken seven years to write this book. It shouldn't take seven years to write a book. <laughs> it should. There's got to be an easier way into it's this. like a college degree. Right. And so beyond the stuff that I'm doing I, with my daughters and with business and stuff like that. Like when I'm starting to pick up books, I'm like, how do, can, can I learn this a little bit better? What's it's probably where I need to learn and grow a little bit more as to how to get this process going faster and how to capture these thoughts to translate them into uh, com- conversations to help parents, teachers, leaders do better. But if I'm this slow, man, I can't expect them to <laughs> catch on that fast. Well, I can, I can say that I'll just say this and we don't even need to go deep on it, but like, um, what's the, oh man, I just totally blanked what the name of it is, but that book, it's a business book that's into like 15 editions, editions now. Um, 
oh shoot, I'm going to totally blank on what it is. Anyways, it's like, you know, business books even too, like they evolve in editions and, and like the, the content changes slightly. Cause I find a lot of times, like even me personally, I think like, well, what am I going to write in a book? And, and then like, wait a second, I'm going to write a book. Like this is going to be an eternity. Like this is a physical thing. This needs to be perfect. And then it never gets done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. it never sees the light of day. There's a lot of examples of it can evolve. You can create new additions. You can add things kind of like your values, right? They will change over time. And getting over yourself to be like, it's okay. Like Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, he said, if you don't launch your, your beta website and, and you're embarrassed of it, then you've launched it too late. Yeah. There you go. Launch it, get it out there, be embarrassed of it. And people are going to tell you how to fix it and you fix it and you keep building forward. I remember the book now, the E-Myth. So the E-Myth. Oh yeah, Michael Gerber. Yeah, revisited, right? Like he just put <laughs> yes. revisited. It's like I, I changed it slightly. Here's a Re- new edition. Revisited. <laughs> yeah, changed the cover from orange to blue. You should buy a new one. It's actually a brilliant business model. Yeah, it's definitely gonna write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Last question for you, man. Uh, what is one thing that scares you right now that you know you need to meet with bravery? Uh, I think my daughters are getting to a certain age where we need to have certain conversations about body changes and sex and gender stuff and all of those. And I'm not scared in terms of like words come out of my mouth. I'm not going to be embarrassed of them. I'm going to be okay with them. What I'm scared of is I I don't know. (laughs) Like I don't like that's something I guess I could have answered that same question with the, what am I curious about and what do I need to go learn more of is that same thing. So it's one of those. And the other part is, having those conversations with my wife before having them with my kids. I'm fine talking to my wife about it, of course, but her and I are very different people. And so we also need to agree on a plan of action to move forward, to raise, to have these conversations with the girls. And obviously it's one of those things that I've spoken with my wife and we're like, yes, we need to be on the same page. I don't want it to be a mom only topic, right? That's not as a dad. I'm not taking a back seat on some really important conversations with my girls until the time where they're like, no, I want to talk to mom about that. And I'm like, all right, yeah. So we're not going to force it, but I'm going to be knowledgeable and I'm going to be present. And if they have questions, I want to be able to ask those questions. And I am in uncharted territory for my own comfort. So totally. I'll see, man. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Going to take a level of bravery. I appreciate you saying that out loud. So uh, that's everything I got for you, man. I just want to acknowledge you for having the conversation. I know you got to run off to pick up one of those daughters, I believe, or drop her off at swimming or something right now. Um, but yeah, I just want to acknowledge you. We've talked twice now. I've enjoyed both of these conversations. I believe we even went in more depth than we did last time on like some of the foundational elements of what is concerning, but also what you're doing about it. And ultimately what I'm choosing to do about it by having the conversation with you and sharing it with the people that are asking those questions of like, what do we do in this crazy ass world right now to educate our kids and teach them to be kind and allow them to uh, make their own decisions on how to make a critical thought process a part of their everyday life. So it's, it's incredibly important, man. And yeah, like I say, I just want to acknowledge you for that. And how can people find out more about you and the business and then the training and all the stuff and the book, when's that book coming out? Here's a great opportunity to declare uh, three launching. months in, according to my editor <laughs> last night is uh, three months from now it should be going. Yes. And uh, yeah, look, bravesmartkind.com. Check it out. We got some videos up. We've got conversations. We hold free conversations with parents. If anyone wants to join them, just 
sign up for one of those raising kids brave smart and kind sessions and and come uh, yeah be part of it we're happy to have people so Cool, man. Well, this won't be the last time we'll chat because we already said Indeed. that we're all going to live uh, together in Costa Rica somewhere. Yeah, my sister, sister, yeah, the teacher, my sister right, will be the teacher, and we'll just <laughs> eat mangoes all day and hang out. And I look forward to that day. I'm ready for it, man. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you, Trevor. Hey, take care. Appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 